0: Hello and welcome to the second in a series of podcasts about how to get yourself noticed, raise your profile and network online aimed at researchers. My name's Steve Cross. I'm a professional researcher developer. I help researchers of all kinds uh, become the most effective and interesting version of themselves. And I'm here with another researcher development expert. Hello, could you mind introducing yourself to our lovely listeners?
1: Hi everyone, I'm Sam Byers. I'm the researcher developer for Life Sciences uh, and I'm based at Cambridge.
0: Fantastic. So in today's episode, we're going to look at how you can get your voice out there in audio formats. So how to get involved in podcasting, how to become a guest on the radio, and also how to start your own podcast as a repository of the the ways that you think about the world. So listeners, here are some, some things you need to know. I've been making podcasts since 2010 when i started the bright club podcast um where academics would be interviewed by comedians and me and we'd have these really wide-ranging conversations looking at all the aspects of research through the eyes of people who don't do any research and that was uh, exciting it was the very early days of podcasts we used to get huge numbers of listeners because there were more listeners than podcasts now i think there's more podcasts than listeners um To this day, I still release podcasts. Um, I release quite a lot of comedy podcasts. I have a Dungeons and Dragons comedy podcast called Chaotic Adequate. And I also support a lot of researchers who are setting up and running their own podcasts. So if you go and uh, listen to quite popular science podcasts like uh, Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet? Uh, which is Alex Lathbridge, Sahail Patel, Oz Ismail and Hannah Ayub. Or if you go and listen to Handmade, which is Anna Pojayski, I supported both of those groups to set up those podcasts. And they're podcasts that work with researchers quite a lot. They're the sort of podcast you might want to get involved with. Um, Sam, how often do you get researchers coming to you and saying, I just want to be a famous TV presenter? I
1: have to admit, I've never had somebody come to me personally <laughs> and say that.
0: OK, I get that all the time. Um, because of the stuff I do. And I think one of the things that's important is that um, even the people that you see on telly, they didn't come from nowhere. They came from clawing the way up through doing little videos and through doing uh, little podcasts and the odd local radio session and all these sorts of things. Um, Even someone as powerful as Sam with a university like Cambridge behind her can't uh, click her fingers and change your career forever. So you need to to do the little things first. And this podcast is very much about doing the little things, how to get involved to start with, how to start building up a body of work so that... um, people want to hear from you and people think your voice is interesting. So I know that for a lot of researchers, it can seem that there are huge barriers to getting involved in podcasts. You know, you listen to all these wonderful things. It's the same that we see with so many things. And you think, how do I, how do I get to Be part of that rather than just listening to that. You know, I'm a researcher. I know things. I have stuff I want to talk about. But it's actually not that difficult, I think, as long as you're realistic. If you start writing pitch emails to the biggest podcasts in the world with millions of listeners, as an unknown person, I should imagine they will ignore you. But if you start building up a reputation and you start building up a voice then you can do that sort of thing. So the first thing that I always think every researcher should do, and I'm surprised some people haven't, is to register with their university press office. Go and let your press office know who you are, because it's your press office who are getting requests from uh, local radio, from national radio, saying, we need somebody who can talk us through the meaning of this new uh, artifact that's been discovered in Iraq. And... um, If you're the person with that knowledge and the press office know that you're a kind of okay person and easy to get along with, you're not gonna go into the local radio office and stink the place out and annoy everybody, um, they'll put you in touch and they'll connect you up. And uh, that's lovely because you don't have to do any work. You uh, will just be found. And press offices get requests from all sorts of people these days, not just traditional media, they get requests from podcasters as well.
1: Another one um, to add to that is if you are a member of a learned society as well, is to um, go and speak to their communications office as well. For example, when I was a member of the uh, Society for Endocrinology, you could go and sign up to their um, communications office. And when particular endocrinology related topics were perhaps creeping out into the media or into the wider um into the general public the wider the wider sector they would look through the list of people that were specialists in that area and they would they would approach you and it might be that you had to write a piece for a newspaper or perhaps a, a local radio or something like that so and the and the more you were the more you did the more regularly they would um, perhaps come to you and they weren't just going towards their professors that knew everything they were really keen to engage um, early career researchers in there as well
0: Yeah, because for a learned society, they're trying to recruit new members. So having your early career people doing that sort of thing makes other early career people in the field think, oh, yeah, I've heard of that thing. I should be part of it. No, it makes a lot of sense. So every now and then, uh, in terms of Cambridge, um, I see requests on social media from naked scientists looking for particular types of researcher to go in because they have a story about a new discovery in space or... What's happening with influenza vaccines? And they don't know local researchers who can talk to those sorts of things. So it's just worth following them on a few bits of social media, because eventually there will be, if you are working in STEM, there will be a request where you can go. Oh, actually, I uh, am in Cambridge. I can come into your studio easily. I'm very easy to get hold of. Um, why don't you let me come and be part of your thing? Um, but that's kind of a Cambridge unique experience. There are people in London I know who have been up there, um, but usually you know, they haven't got any money for travel costs or anything like that. So it's a thing for people in Cambridge. Um, one of my mentees has found a new service called matchmaker.fm which is a website and I think there are other similar things around which is essentially a repository of people who are willing to be experts on podcasts and you put in the areas that you know about and then when people are putting together a podcast about a specific area they can go and search for an aeronautical engineer or an architect or and again that can be a way of getting involved I haven't seen the success rates of those things um I think they're relatively new. So, I mean, your mileage may vary, I think, is the phrase that people use for these things. Um, But there there is a way to get yourself onto podcasts that you're interested in, and that is to email people. You can sit and wait forever to be asked to go on things, or you can email the people who make them and say, I am really interested in your programme. I think I'd be really good for it. Here's why I'd be good, because I know about A, B and C, or I can give you access. And access is a really big thing, both for any sort of broadcast and for podcasters. If you've got access to an archive or a set of information or uh, anything that they otherwise wouldn't have access to, they would be really, really interested in talking to you. So my advice for writing one of these pitch emails is make sure you've listened to a few episodes of whatever it is that you're pitching for so that you understand the format and you can tailor your email so that it matches the kinds of things that they're interested in. If you write a very dry and formal email to a very light-hearted and fun podcast, for instance, they won't think that you're the kind of guest for them. Um, be realistic in who you're pitching to. If your first email is to the biggest shows on Radio 4, uh, that's probably not going to work. Um, those people... Pick their guests. The guests don't appeal to them. But most podcasters, we've got to get an episode out a week. We need guests every week. Uh, A new voice coming to us and saying, "Well, actually, I can talk to you about fourth century Egypt in a way that no one else can." Is the sort of thing that we would um, get up for. Be clear about what specific areas you can talk about, and especially if you've got things that are relevant to issues that are going on in the world. You know, right now, if you are an epidemiologist, a public health expert, a virologist. Every podcaster in the world wants to book you because you might say something or know something that isn't out in the general discourse around COVID. And uh, that's what they'd really, really like. Um, it's also worth thinking about who books people like you. So which kinds of podcasts book researchers at your career stage or researchers in your field? Um And again, this is going to require some listening and a bit of digging around inside iTunes or your favourite podcast directory. There are places you can find out more about a lot of podcasts. There are networks of podcasters on Facebook uh, where you can see people putting up their new episodes every week. So you can see what's kind of active and what's kind of live and where the people are involved in these social media groups, which means they're more active, they're not being professionally made and they're booking their guests six months in advance um but yeah so i i know people who've been on quite a few podcasts i've been on loads of podcasts uh mostly in my case comedy ones a few science ones i've been interviewed for things like an old guardian science podcast uh i've been on uh, Radio 3, Radio 4 and Radio 5. Um, Radio 3, I was on a poetry show, which I still quite don't, don't quite understand how I got on that one. Um, Radio 4 have made shows about uh, some of the projects I run, getting researchers to be funny. And uh, I was on a, a very late night Radio 5 show, um, pre-recorded, again, talking about what it's like being a nerd and funny. Um, I was on the BBC World Service and that was through the university press office. University press office are really good at connecting you up with things like that. Um, The other thing a university press office will do is they will proactively pitch you to people, but they do that kind of at their discretion when they want to. So don't email your university press office once a week demanding that they make you their priority. They've got a lot of researchers across the university to look after. So you've got to make yourself... The number one person that they need that week and respect the fact when they say, I just don't think we can do anything with this for now. Uh, We'll come back to you. So I think it's worth, Samos, taking a little bit of time to think about what it's like to be interviewed for one of these things. And I understand uh, the last interview you did, uh, you, now the nice way to say it is that you learned a lot from it. Yes, I certainly
1: did. I certainly did. I uh, the the main thing that I learned from my interview was when they give you the questions beforehand so that you can prepare. Actually, do prepare. Uh, so the so the, the to put this into I was at a um, I was at a conference and I was asked to give a two minute snapshot video piece that was going into a more collaborative uh, larger body of work. Um, and so I'd been given the the questions beforehand, um, and it took <laughs> this two minute slot. It took about 20 minutes half an hour for me to act, actually get the 2 minutes right for them. The main reason for this was I didn't prepare. Mm. Given the questions I thought oh, I'll be able to do that not a problem, you know, I could talk I can talk the hind leg off a donkey, not an issue. And so focused more on my networking in the conference dinner part of the uh of the uh, of the conference rather than actually preparing for this. When I went to be recorded as soon as that camera went into in front of me that was it i completely froze and i had no idea what i was what i was saying and i was I'm I'm I'm, I'm 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 a lot worse than you're probably hearing me do now and so yeah it took us about 20 minutes to so just do this very small bit of, of video work so the the main bit of advice that i would i would give to people is if if people do give you pre um pre-existing questions the questions that they're going to ask you during the podcast prepare for them think um, actually write some answers and kind of memorize them a little bit because once you're in that environment you don't know what will happen you might freeze in which case you've got something in in the back of your head that will just that will just come out
0: i think that's a brilliant advice prepare is the number one thing that i've got written down um because a lot of people say, you know, this, I'm going to be asked questions. It's going to be a conversation. How do I prepare? And you don't have to prepare exact answers, but you do have to think about what are the messages that you want to get across and what are the things that you want to talk about. And that way, when you're asked open-ended questions, you know where you're going to take them and, and what is the stuff you want to get across? Um, I am hugely a believer of sending people questions beforehand, but even if you're being interviewed and it's part of a long radio thing, it's quite normal for you to ask the interviewer before the interview starts, what's the first question going to be? Um, Because they won't have thought through all their other questions. They're just going to ask interesting things uh, as they come up quite often, but they'll be able to tell you. Um, You know, I've done local radio and as they're playing the song before and queuing me up, I always say, what's your first question going to be? And they'll say something like, well, I'll ask you about the event on Saturday, who it's really aimed at. And what it's going to be like. And then in my head, I can lock those pieces of information together. And once you're through the first question, everything else becomes a nice, normal conversation. It's a really good way of getting around that freeze on the spot moment. The other mistake that I've made is not listening to shows beforehand to find out what they're like and not getting enough information and turning up with completely the wrong set of stuff. um I don't mind too much after uh, 10 years doing comedy. I'm quite good at improvising now. But. Um, that's not a thing you should have to do (laughs) you should have listened to the format understand what the thing is especially if it's not um, a standard kind of local news thing if you're on a different kind of format you need to um, be ready for it one thing that can make a really big difference I think is uh, whether you're being recorded live or whether you're being edited And I think that's a thing to ask in advance and to kind of mentally prepare for. Because if you're being edited, you can do wonderful things where you can just stop and say, actually, I got that wrong. Here's the correct version. Or you can forget what you're saying and say, I'm just going to pause for a second because I know you can edit this. Um, Whereas live, you kind of you just have to keep rolling. Um, One of the things I do live is I slow down how fast I speak. So that my brain can go slightly along with, because if I speak full speed, my brain cannot keep up, and my brain can't stop me swearing, going on tangents, saying ridiculous things. But live, I slow down. I slow down. Not so much you'd notice, but just a tiny, tiny bit. Um, so, the, if you were being interviewed now, Sam, what would you do? How would you start that interview? Camera appears, click. Sam, tell us about what do you. What would you do?
1: I would I would be very much like yourself I would slow down I would before the camera went on I would be asking them what is the what is that first question you're going to ask me ask me so that again I've got that meant mentally I've got something that I can I can work with having something to work with really does help and I for me I found that it stopped me going off on tangents as well when I don't know what's going on or what they're, what they're going to be asking me my brain's kind of going into overdrive thinking of all the you know worst case scenarios the best case scenarios and for me that just doesn't work my 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 thoughts get jumbled and I say I just come out with verbal diarrhea to be honest with you
0: So one thing that's nice about podcasts, as opposed to being filmed, is you can have pages and pages of notes in front of you to look at the entire way through. And I run um, quite a few podcasts. And one of the things that really differentiates a great guest from a not great guest is the amount of writing that they've done beforehand. Um, Because if you've got too much content, I can always edit some of it back. But if you haven't got enough interesting and unique things to say, there's only so often I can put you in agreeing with people um you need to give me enough quality content that i can leave enough of you in the final edit especially if there's three or four people on the show um i did a show recently it's a um just a film review show and um the presenters were astonished that that me and my friend Greg turned up with multiple sheets of notes on the film down to which minute various things happened at. But it did mean that when the podcast came out, it was very rich and very specific and very easy to follow. Because we'd say at seven minutes, 14 is the moment where he first takes his trousers off and... Um, And we'd done research behind that. So we hadn't just watched the film, we'd gone and read reviews of it and we'd gone and read up on the careers of the people in it. We tried to identify which monster truck it is that's in the film, that sort of nonsense. But um, it just adds loads and loads and loads of richness. So sometimes it's good not to just rely on the contents of your brain, um, but to prepare ahead have things that you can say that are very specific because so many podcasts are just two people chatting without any real content um and especially as a podcast editor i'm going to chop out as much of that as possible i'm going to try and get to something that is interesting and full of content so bring loads and loads and loads of content um So one thing that's happening at the moment is just like uh, Sam and I aren't in the same room. We're not in a recording studio. We're in two different cities. We're recording this over the Internet. And um, one of the things that makes a massive difference is to have a decent broadband connection. Um, I have had to bin podcasts recently because we were recording like this and the other person's Internet connection was so bad that I couldn't get a decent signal um, from them. And sometimes we solve that problem by recording uh, at both ends. But even then, if the broadband connection's not good enough, if they're dropping out in the middle, it becomes really hard to edit it. So I would say to everybody, if you wanna get involved in this sort of stuff, invest in the best broadband you can get. Um, It'll make your life easier in lots of other ways. It means I can put you on um, live video shows. I can do all sorts of things. If your internet's terrible, it's really difficult to do all that sort of thing.
1: The other thing that I would suggest to that as well is if you're um sharing your house with somebody who perhaps I'm going to use um, my husband here as an example he's a software developer he's sitting downstairs doing all like really cool computery stuff which I have no idea what, what it actually means but you know he looks he looks cool while he's working uh, when he has to upload stuff that can have a big impact on on my broadband so we sometimes negotiate when he particularly if I'm recording things with people Um, over the internet we negotiate when he um when he can do his upload and, and when I can actually do my recording so that that stuttering doesn't doesn't happen if you've
0: started thinking about podcasts and you've started thinking about wanting to guest on them you will find very quickly that you get a bit frustrated in that there aren't podcasts that are really really good at the thing that you are interested in and that's the moment when you decide to start your own podcast and i've helped quite a lot of people start podcasts um I, one of the things i would say is do not underestimate the amount of work involved in starting a podcast getting one episode out is relatively easy but quite a lot of podcasts only ever get one episode out the next most common epi- number of episodes to produce is two and so on it's getting into that routine and producing it is really hard but if you can They're incredibly rich, firstly, because you can invite people onto your podcast, which means they all owe you favours. You can invite other podcasters onto your podcast because you want to go on their podcast. But the most important thing that having your own podcast does is it provides anyone you meet in any sort of networking situation, online or offline, with a really rich repository of what you know about and what you care about and what you're interested in, so that they can take your business card or they can see your name on twitter and then if they want to they can go away and find out that actually you do know huge amounts about the history of uh, the catholic church and especially how its practices have changed over time and that you've got this podcast where you interview other historians and you interview practicing religious figures and all sorts of things i'm just picking an example at random um And then they know that you're the right person to talk to. It also means that anyone who wants you to go on the radio, anyone who wants you to go on their podcast, knows that you know how to talk and be recorded. Uh, on a podcast. And there's lots of different ways to start them. Um, I'm a very kind of DIY podcaster. I use all my own equipment. I do all of my own editing. Um, You actually, I think, get a lot better at talking on podcasts when you've edited yourself on podcasts a lot. You learn your own annoying Uh, habits and you take them out and you learn if you speak much too quickly or if you don't finish sentences properly in a way that you wouldn't notice uh, if you weren't podcasting. So th- that's uh, an important thing to do but there are people who can make your podcast with you if you've got money or if you've got research funding which has a, a an outreach and engagement element there are people who will do the recording and the editing for you and help you put it all together. If you are thinking about starting your own podcast there's quite a lot of skill sets that you need to have that aren't just talking about your subject and it can be quite fun to learn how to market your podcast and get listeners, how to record your podcast and make it sound nice, how to get your podcast out onto all of the different platforms it needs to be on because it needs to be on iTunes and it needs to be on Spotify and it needs to be locatable through Android apps and all those sorts of things and it's not impossible and there's lots of sites all over the place that will tell you how to do it but it's a set of skills you need to learn or you need to pay somebody to do all of that for you. But it can be a great thing for your career because one of the nice things you can do is if you want to meet some of the more uh, experienced researchers in your area, you invite them onto your podcast. You can find yourself interviewing people that may end up being your... Uh, lab heads or department heads or heads of the research program that you're on because you've invited them onto your podcast. Everybody loves to be invited to come and talk about the stuff that they're interested in. You may well find your university has courses on how to set up and run a podcast. Uh, And preferred kit you can use. I know that um, UCL has a couple of small studios that are available to researchers to record their own podcasts. Uh, You might not need one. Really, the amount of kit and the perfect space you need for a podcast is absolutely minimal. You can start with two phones and go from there. Uh, And work your way up to having a beautiful soundproof studio and expensive microphones and big studio headphones and all that sort of stuff. And then you'll invest in that studio and then you'll realise that um, because of uh, a massive pandemic, nobody's going to come round to your studio for quite a long time. And you end up recording everybody across the internet wearing uh, headphones with little mics on, which is what we're doing now. Um, Sam. Does the university provide ways to help people start their own podcasts?
1: The Engaged Researcher series is definitely something to to look out for. So this is the uh, public engagement training package, which runs um, from Michaelmas right through to the end of Easter term. The program, the the training that they had that they provide is all on UTBS. So I would strongly recommend that you go and have a look there. They may not specifically do a podcast workshop this year, but they definitely do um, making your own videos. I know it's slightly different, but some of the the, some of the concepts um, are are very similar and they do have workshops on how to work with the media as well. So I would definitely check that program out. It is expanding. It's a relatively new one. um, So I suspect there will be podcast training in there this year.
0: So, Sam, um, I think we're coming to the end of this. And I think one of the things about this podcast is that we are opening doors to people and there's a lot inside of that door that they're going to have to go and find out from here. But the big thing I want to encourage them to do is to actually think, how can I make my voice part of national discussions about the areas that I work in? So where can our listeners start with all of this?
1: I would suggest getting in touch with the university press office. The majority of university press offices, when you go to them and and say that you want to, you're interested in engaging, particularly with uh, particularly with the media, will provide you with um, support and and training. They they don't just chuck you out in, into the into the deep. So that would that would probably be a good um, a good starting point. Another person to perhaps start to follow, or go and see one of his lectures. I know that he does them quite frequently. Is Giles Yeo. Um so he's um up at the Institute of Metabolic Science up at Brooks, but I'm sure most of you will know who Giles Joe is. We, we see him quite frequently um on the TV as part of the Trust Me, I'm a Doctor series. Mm. Um and he but he also writes for The Guardian, he also does an awful lot of radio edits and um as well. And he, he talks about a whole range of um of life science related um topics um mainly around his his specialty but he does um does diverge as well so and he is he's very good at giving um advice particularly around sound bites and things like that so 10 second sound bites one minute sound bites so i'd recommend going and um going to one of his training courses or or perhaps just checking him out online because there's a lot of things that he's done that will be online
0: Yeah, I think um, that's really interesting, especially what you said around the 10-second soundbite. I think one of the things anyone needs for an interview on a podcast is the ability to say in one or two sentences what they do, but in a way that communicates why it's important. And um, one of the fun things to then be able to do is to flex that introduction up and down. So when I used to work in university public engagement, I could talk to a vice chancellor and say, uh, you know, I, I lead on the university's efforts to create impact through from research by interactions with communities outside academia and when i was talking to an academic i could say my job is to drag researchers kicking and screaming out of their labs and offices and make them interact with real people um both of which get across what i do and they have within them the bit that will say to you why this is important for you Um, In terms of other support, you can get one of my favourite places if you want to get into uh, creating your own podcast is on Facebook. There is a group called podcasters support group facebook.com slash group slash pod support group Uh, it's a closed group you have to apply to be in it but that means that everybody in it is a podcast maker and there are I think 25,000 podcast makers in there offering advice on different aspects of the process you know as you move up and you want uh, higher sound quality and you want better kit and you want to start to be interviewing six different people around the world how are you going to do it Uh, it's a great place to get that sort of help. So friends, uh, if you ever want to be interviewed by me uh, across the internet, you know where I am. I'm on Twitter as Steve underscore um, X. It's been a lot of fun talking to you, Sam. Where can people find you, Sam?
1: Um, so if you if you want to get in touch with me, my email address is um, on our website, which is the Research and Development Programme website, www.rdp.com.ac.uk. You'll also be able to find Sonia and Christian who are, uh, research developers too but focus on arts and humanities and social sciences as well as physical sciences and technology.
0: And RDP has a whole series of podcasts now doesn't it?
1: Yes it certainly does um, you can find them via our website too um, via RD On Demand so if you go onto our web page you'll see online training um, if you click on that it'll be it'll be in there um, and it'll take you straight to our Lovely, fancy YouTube channel.
0: Okay, thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so much, Sam. Sam, would you like to say goodbye to our lovely listeners?
1: Bye, everyone. Good luck. Wish you all the very best in your podcasting journey.
0: Goodbye, listeners. And uh, remember, whenever you do work on a podcast, work out how you're going to finish it.